Welcome to Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley. And we're ringing in these 2019 movie reviews. With 2019? A, we're, we're already getting ready for Valentine's Day. Yeah, uh, we took January off, and I think for good reason. If you look yeah. at what's in the theaters, it's pretty rough. Hollywood also took January off. Yeah, it's like time to catch up on those Oscar movies, maybe? I don't know what they're thinking. They just hate January just like everyone else does. Yeah. But Netflix is still supporting us with good content. Uh, With content. Oh, no. I think we're going to diverge on this one. Uh, This week we're going to be talking about the Steven Soderbergh film High Flying Bird. Uh, But before we get into that, we wanted to see what was our favorite Steven Soderbergh movies. I wish I wish I could say that it was Sex, Lies, and Videotape, <laughs> but I've never seen that one. Uh, I ne- I have not either, but it was talked about a lot on a podcast with Steven Soderbergh and Bill Simmons that I listened to. Okay, so it's a, yeah, I mean, it was a classic. Came out at Sundance. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think right now, well, my favorite Steven Soderbergh movie is Che. Part two. No, it is not. <laughs> Fine. It's Logan Lucky. I had. Uh, okay. I love. I love that movie. I went back and forth. I was. I thought about Logan Lucky. How it was kind of quirky and weird. But I think I, I have to say Ocean's Eleven. It's just such a good movie. It is a great movie. I like the characters and the heist is good. Yeah, they're both. Yeah, they're both great. Yeah, I, Logan Lucky. I think captures a lot of that same kind of fun energy, but doesn't quite come together as much, I think. Yeah, it doesn't have quite the same satisfaction. I don't know. It's got it's got a pretty good twist at the end, but yeah. Um, so, what did you heard about High Flying Bird before you watched it? Uh, that he shot it on an iPhone. That's it, I think. And not a, this is not even his first movie shot on an iPhone. I think he no. made Unsane on an iPhone as well. That's correct. Yeah. Do you think that made the movie more interesting to you or was just like a distraction or you didn't even notice it because it looked like any other movie? No, it looked like an iPhone and it's annoying to me. <laughs> why? Do you, I don't know. Maybe you know from your podcast why he did that. It's either, just, it, it's either very pretentious or very stupid, I would say. Uh, I think the reason he said he did it is it just allows him to put the camera in different places get different angles and film without as much kind of setup and, and tear down. You can just put a iPhone Velcro it to a wall. I mean, I, I would guess he's made a lot of movies and he just wants to challenge himself in a different way. You can Velcro a better camera to the wall too. You can also do zero setup. I have a DSLR that, that it takes a minimum of setup that I can put on the little tripod. That's um, got the little like, bendable arms and I can put it anywhere and the the image is way better than an iPhone and also I mean it's a very particular lens it's uh it kind of curves if you see out far in the distance it curves it it doesn't and it's kind of grainy obviously I would just challenge after having tried to take several family photos with that camera that you can't just set it up so fast <laughs> okay <laughs> all right <laughs> No, I mean, that's fair. I, 
It just doesn't make sense to me. That that rationale, I don't buy it. He's doing something else. Maybe I mean, I, I do agree that he's probably challenging himself. And Apple is probably just dumping money into his bank account. <laughs> I hope they at least gave him a free iPhone. I, you'd have to have several, right? <laughs> you would... You would think. Who knows? I hope it was an iPhone X. XS even, maybe. You got an early release. Jeez. Did did you think the quality of the video looked good? I didn't think it looked so bad, I guess. I just feel like it wasn't distracting to me. And I even was, you know, knew a shot on an iPhone and tried to think about it throughout the movie. And just thought, no, it doesn't bother me. This is this is what it is. It doesn't it the image is fine. You could still watch it like a movie. It's the fact that we are talking about this right now for three minutes instead of talking about the story. That's that's what I don't understand. Why it's like a gimmick. It becomes a gimmick. Even if he maybe he didn't intend it to be, uh, but I bet he did. I mean, it's a cho- you know that that's going to be a, something that people talk about if you do that. Well, right. It's not a it's not a like Hollywood movie. It's not big budget. So maybe he has to do something to get it. Kind of more creative marketing type stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, let's yeah. I mean, let's move on to the story. Wait, let's start with the opening scene, the opening shot. Do you remember it? Oh gosh, I don't. It's out the window of a high rise. Then the then the camera pulls back, turns, goes down the hallway, gets to the restaurant, and comes to the two of them having their conversation. Okay. Yes. Why that shot? I hated that shot. Oh my gosh. You could you could hear the conversation over it, right? Yep, you could hear the conversation the whole time. Did you ever but, watch his show, The Nick? No, I didn't. Okay, I think he does some stuff like that in The Nick a lot, where he'll have the camera be other places, looking at other things over a conversation. Okay, all right. I don't know. So it's a visual kind of cue of his, I would say. And the, and I, uh, he puts the camera like on the. Bar when they're talking in another in another scene, he also does he also did a thing with the camera where, um, it was the first scene in the boss agent's office, Zachary yeah. Quinto, mm-hmm. and you're seeing him. The camera's on the side of the room away from the window, and then th- like three fourths of the way through the scene, it switches and the camera's on the win- like on the window side looking into the room, a profile of both of them, which is just. I hated it too. I hated it. That's Is like that a, that rule where you don't you don't break 180 degree rotation? Yeah, you, don't, you don't cross the line. It it looks it looks cheap or junky. I don't know. It's also disorienting. Although that scene wasn't extremely disorienting because um, it's just two people. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Those those shots really stood out to me and like bothered me. Obviously. Yeah. Were you able to sort of get past the? kind of structure background filming or yeah did, did it okay good let's 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 go on then i'm a professional okay. i can i can <laughs> i can ignore things and, and analyze other things uh how did you feel like the acting was in this in this movie did you like the different characters yeah i mean i thought the acting was very good i thought the dialogue was very fun like almost almost realistic not quite but not in an annoying way it's that almost like Aaron Sorkin type of dialogue where it's so fast and the beats are there and you feel, I don't know, like, I think it's easy to kind of lose a bit of the conversation and you just have to kind of pick it back up. But I, I, it just shows sort of that 
like they're experts, right? They're, you know, they're just so confident in how they talk. I thought that was impressive. I couldn't understand a lot of stuff. I mean, I understood oh. all the words, but... <laughs> <laughs> the meaning was not quite obvious. Yeah, they'd be, like a lot of the scenes, I feel like with the head of the players union were very confusing to me because of the jargon and the, I don't know, the insider kind of knowledge. Like, oh, or the scene where, uh, where, okay, so I feel like the assistant, Sam, and the the main agent, um, what was his name? I can't remember. Andre Holland was the actor. I can't remember the name either. Yeah. Maybe Ray. Ray. Yeah, that's right. So Sam and Ray made this plan together, right? I think so. They like had, they realize she says something about the, you need to change the story or control the story. And then it cuts away. So you don't see them actually develop the plan, but you assume that they do it there. But then it doesn't always seem like she fully understands what's going on later as it unfolds. And then there was the scene, I think it's in a bar or maybe a hotel lobby at the end with Ray and Sam again, where she tells them that she's going to go work for the players union, I think. Right. It is the, yeah, the players union. And that scene just didn't make sense to me. It didn't seem like they were, or I just didn't understand, like, what, what would you say we learned from that scene? Do you remember that scene? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, just sort of the growth in her character or kind of, she got what she needed from him and was ready to move on. Did it seem like she understood the plan and, and was in agreement with how it went? I feel like she was surprised when I don't think she should have been surprised. Well, maybe your kind of initial assumption that she was in on it isn't correct. Because I actually don't know, now that you say that, if it was just him on his own, inspired by her, or them together that developed that plan. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think the kind of setup and then 48 hours earlier, 24 hours earlier. That was very confusing, right? It was a confusing kind of narrative structure to do it that way. Especially because I, I feel like I feel like the things that happened weren't specific enough to be clear, like arc, a clear arc, really. Like this thing caused this thing caused this thing. They jump back to forty eight hours before, and it's a conversation, not really an event. I think that's why it wasn't so clear to me. Well, and I don't think you know where that. I guess I don't think we know where that forty eight hours ago fits in what we'd already seen, except yeah. they very briefly show him in that sauna in the early part of the movie. Very briefly. There's like a, a two-second clip of it or something. It's a bad cut. It just is too short for something you have no idea what it is at the time. I guess, but then, I mean, then you jump back to that to give you that context, I guess. I know, but that's that's not good. That's not no. good. Okay. I think. I think that's not good filmmaking. Yeah. All right. If you, if you have to, because they had to put that two-second clip in there to make the future flashback clear, Right. Yes. So that's bad. You shouldn't you shouldn't have to put a weird two-second clip that has no context that people are confused by and is too short to be a good clip anyway. You shouldn't need to do that in order to make your flashback make sense. Well, could they have just put the whole owner scene in right then? Yeah, because you also don't learn anything from that sauna scene. Just that they talked about it and there was no intention of signing a deal right away. But we already knew there was no intention of signing a deal. Yeah, I don't think we learned anything. I remember I remember watching that first flashback and being like, well, that was pointless. Okay. It shows that they know each other. I mean, but you would assume an agent and an owner know each other anyway. Yeah. Huh. Well, Stephen, 
uh, reach out. We have some editing thoughts. <laughs> he did the camera operate. He he operated the camera, but he wasn't the editor. I paid attention at the end. I was curious. But what? Uh, I, that's what I don't understand. Doesn't the director still just sit with the editor and tell them the order of things they want to see? I don't really know, to be honest. But my understanding is they've storyboarded it so much to before that the editor can just follow that document. And they probably shot just exactly the shots they need. Okay. But then the editor picks which take to use, or the director picks the best take? No, the editor picks the best take, for sure. And then, I mean, they, uh, yeah, and then you watch it, and the, and the director can be like, okay, it didn't work like I thought it would. Let's move one scene earlier. Or I bet, in this case, they watched it, and, and Steven Soderbergh realized kind of the problem you said, and he's like, okay, well, we have to put in that two-second clip of the sauna so people know where they are. Yeah, I I'm nine. I would be very certain that that was not planned. Okay, uh, we we didn't talk about, it, but I thought the assistant Sam character Zazie Beats from Atlanta uh, was great. I think she just has such like a charismatic personality. Yeah, she's great, great actress. I agree. I thought the I thought Eric Smith or Eric the basketball player was awesome. Oh yeah, so like so confident. But then kind of not confident. I don't know. I thought he did a good job showing kind of the swing and emotions that a 19-year-old would have. Yeah, he just felt like a 19-year-old, but, but like super cool and funny and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we haven't talked about this, but they do those interviews with three current NBA players and talk about kind of their experience as rookies. Did yeah. you like having that intercut in the movie? Yeah, I love that. You? Um, I thought it was fine. I don't know if it added much to the narrative. I don't know if I... Really? I thought I mean, it I added a lot. Because they were talking about things that were kind of like what was going on right then? Well, just because it grounded it and, and it made you realize, okay, this is actually happening to young black men in the NBA right now. I mean, this is like a real... It it just made it very real to me. and I don't know. It's, I mean... It had sort of some elements of like an Adam McKay thing, right? But a I liked bit. it. But I liked it so much better. I just really liked it. Um, I mean, I, I got this from a podcast I listened to, but he was originally planning to direct Moneyball at one point, and was going to do that same thing with baseball players and managers and owners, huh? And cut them through Moneyball before he got taken off that project. That would have been cool, I think. Yeah. Well, it depends on how you do it, I guess. Who did Moneyball, Adam McKay? No. <laughs> oh, gosh, I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know either. I thought it was an interesting subject. I mean, I think it's fascinating, actually. But obviously, you and I like sports a lot, so. Right. That's what I was really excited to watch this, or kind of the media that I pay attention to was talking about this movie and excited for it. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it was good. Or I don't know how hyper-realistic the... Um, I, th- I feel like the agent, I feel like the way it all went down is probably not super realistic. That a single agent could find this loophole that drives the owners to end the lockout. But maybe that's true. That's a real possibility. But I, I didn't mind that. I mean, it just felt um, like a cool world anyway. So I was, I bought into that. Well, and I think the conversation between the two owners was really powerful where it's like, it doesn't really matter if they're saying it's NBA-related or lockout-related, it's taking 
kind of eyeballs away from the NBA and you know those those different three on three events and things and how kind of the power of the NBA owner is so tenuous, right? Yeah, that was the best. That was the best name of a tournament ever. Bring, Bring your, your ring. ring. <laughs> Freaking awesome. Yeah, that was that was sweet. And uh, I have always. I mean, obvious. I. I know that owners know and are aware of the prices on StubHub, but uh, I thought that was cool to see him mention that. Yeah. Uh, all right. What did you rank High Flying Bird out of five? I'm giving it a three out of five. Three out of five? That's pretty good. Yeah, it was all right. An, in- <laughs> an interesting story. Uh, kind of annoying filmmaking at times, but... Okay, uh, I'm going to go with a four out of five. I think just the subject matter... That idea of being a sports agent is very appealing to me. I thought it was well done. Time for a career change. Shoot. CAA, if you're listening. <laughs> we, we would both work for you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll split one salary. Do yeah. I double the work? <laughs> we'll, we'll produce the in-house CAA podcast. Oh, gosh. CCA. CAA? Creative Artists Agency. Okay. I, well, I, read a, I read a book about like the oral history of that agency. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was good. Um, did, right. you, did, did you see uh, What Women Want? I have not yet. Or what, sorry, What Men Want. Right, yeah. I guess I haven't seen that either. <laughs> she, uh, the main character in that one, is also a sports agent. Oh, Taraji P. Henson. And she's trying to sign a, a future... Or yeah, I think it's projected number one draft pick. Get on that. Okay. What's your recommendation for this week for something for the listeners to watch, read, or listen to? Uh, okay, I've been reading a lot of David Ives' plays, uh, and they've been pretty good. He does some funny stuff and some very formalistically daring stuff. So if you want a few, uh, um, if you want a great short play, I actually saw it performed once, but I also read it this week, called... Um, sure thing. I highly recommend it. Ten pages. I bet you could find it online. Sure thing. Is there any that would I, w- I might even have heard of ever before? No, um, not of his short plays. No, and I can't. I don't know. I don't know any of his long plays either that are super famous. That's fine. Okay. What's yours? Yeah, I'm gonna recommend a show that was on AMC. Not AMC. Yeah, I'm going to recommend a show that was on Amazon Prime. Just popped up, and Remy and I were sick this weekend, so we just hung out, watched a lot of TV. Uh, but we watched all three episodes of the ABC Murders, and it's uh, based on uh, Agatha Christie with uh, John Malkovich doing a very weird Belgian accent. And uh, it's kind of dark for an Agatha Christie story, I think. I read an article about it. I haven't seen it yet, but it's totally de- like not even closely resembling the Agatha Christie story. I can and, that makes sense. And it was done by a writer who just makes everything really dark and twisted. Yeah, it didn't end very happily. That is for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Are you recommending it? Uh, you can check it out if you like that crime period thing. If you like John Malkovich being Hercule Perot. Oh my gosh. It took me... Well, I, I don't know if I ever quite got used to his accent. 
Does he have a British accent or French? French. Belgian. Oh, okay, Belgian. All right. <laughs> All right. Listen, it's not any French accent that I've ever heard. <laughs> We're being generous to call it a Belgian, a Belgian accent. Yeah. It's the only way I can explain it. Thanks for listening this week to Two Brothers Review, the podcast. Uh, I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley, and I promise the Valentine's in the mail, guys. It's coming. Well, goodbye. Bye. Bye.